Viruses have long been implicated in the pathogenesis of multiple sclerosis, but no single virus has been found to be the cause. Could the culprit be Epstein-Barr virus? Listen to the experts debate. Welcome to episode two of MS Matchup. Today's topic, does Epstein-Barr virus cause multiple sclerosis? Our experts are Patricia K. Coyle, MD, and Douglas R. Jeffrey, MD. Dr. Coyle is the director of the Multiple Sclerosis Comprehensive Care Center in the Department of Neurology at Stony Brook University School of Medicine in Stony Brook, New York. Dr. Jeffrey is the director of the Multiple Sclerosis Center at Advanced Neurology and Pain at Cornerstone Healthcare in Advanced North Carolina. Dr. Coyle will share her view that there's not enough evidence to correlate Epstein-Barr virus with the manifestation of multiple sclerosis. But first, Dr. Jeffrey contends that Epstein-Barr virus is implicated in multiple sclerosis with the right genetics. Let's start first by talking about whether MS is actually autoimmune in etiology or possibly infectious. So when you look at the weight of the evidence, I think you'll find the weight of the evidence really suggests an infectious etiology. Um, let's take a look at that. So when you look at the geographic distribution of MS, MS is very geographically distributed, as are infectious diseases. Autoimmune diseases tend to be very evenly distributed across the globe. Then if we look at migration studies, um, for example, patients who move from India to Great Britain, the parent generation will keep the risk of MS associated with the population in India, but their kids will have the risk of MS associated with the population in Great Britain. That doesn't really fit with autoimmunity. That fits more with a transmissible agent. When we look at drug effects, drug effects are very different between MS and other autoimmune diseases. For example, if we look at interferons, they make MS better. Um, they make autoimmune diseases worse. And when we look at tumor necrosis factor inhibitors, they make autoimmune diseases better, but they make MS worse. When we look at oligoclonal bands, which speak to an ongoing interthecal immune response, we see that in MS patients and we see it in infectious diseases, but we really don't tend to see it in other autoimmune diseases. When we look at the earliest step in the formation of a new lesion, it's actually oligodendrocyte apoptosis and microglial activation. And that occurs before the infiltration of any lymphocytes or macrophages into the tissue. Once again, that fits with something going on within the tissue that starts anew. And for example, when we look at, um, again, epidemiology, John Kurtzke with the Faroe Island epidemics um, actually documented an epidemic of multiple sclerosis in the Faroe Islands in the late 1940s. Epidemics are due to transmissible agents, not autoimmune diseases. So no one piece of evidence, you know, proves a non-autoimmunity or proves a transmissible agent, but the weight of the evidence really suggests that MS is not an autoimmune disease and is more likely to be infectious. The different environmental factors which come into play, well, first of all, we know that there's a very strong genetic predisposition, which is then acted on by something in the environment to bring about MS. So if we look at the risk in the general population, it's about one in a thousand. If somebody shares 25% of genetic makeup, the risk jumps to, 100, to one in a hundred. If they share 50% genetic makeup, 
like a son or a daughter, the risk jumps to somewhere between one in 20 and one in 60. And if we have an identical twin um, with MS, the risk is somewhere between one in three and two in three, especially when you look at the MRIs. So we know there's a genetic, very strong genetic weighting. Something in the environment has to interact with that genetic weighting to bring about the disease. The uh, virus that has perhaps the strongest relationship um, with MS is Epstein-Barr virus. Um, the hazard ratio for having MS, if you have, don't have exposure to Epstein-Barr virus, is zero. So having Epstein-Barr virus exposure is actually a prerequisite to getting MS. So virtually 100% of the MS patient population has exposure to Epstein-Barr compared to about 90 to 95% of the general population. If we look at studies in the military where patients went into the military prior to getting MS and developed MS at some point later on, every single patient seroconverted to Epstein-Barr virus seropositivity um, prior to developing MS. The latency between seropositivity and symptom onset was about 14 years. When we look at immune responses in MS patients, they have a much more robust it's response to Epstein-Barr virus. There's actually Epstein-Barr virus replication has been associated and correlated with clinical relapse and disease activity as measured by MRI. In some recent histopathologic studies where they have looked at T cells derived from MS lesions and normal appearing white matter, it has been found that the subset of T cells is consistent with an ongoing immune response, and they reacted against Epstein-Barr virus antigens, but not myelin antigens. And there's a wealth of other evidence that really you know, brings together the association of Epstein-Barr virus with MS, so much so that, in my opinion, the proximate cause of MS is Epstein-Barr virus in someone with the appropriate genetic susceptibility. So I'm going to take the con of Epstein-Barr virus does not cause MS by an infection of central nervous system tissue. Now, I'd start out by saying that I agree MS is not an autoimmune disease. I, I'm kind of a, a strict fundamentalist. My concept of an autoimmune disease is a disorder where there is a defined autoantigen target, like myasthenia gravis like aquaporin-4 positive neuromyelitis optica, like perhaps MOG uh, antibody disease, MOGAD. That still allows a disease to be immune-mediated. And I think of MS as an immune-mediated disease. There's never been a critical autoantigen target uh, described in, in MS. But we know that the immune system is damaging central nervous system tissue and that's integral to the development of this disease. So it is an immune-mediated disease. Now that's a very important concept because if you truly have an autoimmune disease, you should be designing therapies to block the immune attack against that critical autoantigen. That simply has not been identified in MS. So are we going to argue that MS is an infectious disease and the infectious pathogen is Epstein-Barr virus? Well, we could argue that, but I think the current data simply doesn't favor that concept. Remember, MS as an infection has been conceptually introduced very early on 
multiple infectious agents over the years have been associated with MS and said to be, this is the causal agent. None have stood the test of time. MS cannot be transmitted by tissue. It's unlike your classic infectious diseases like prion, et cetera, where you have infectious pathogens and you can pass them on. That has never ever been shown in, in MS at all. And I think it's highly unlikely that MS is going to ultimately turn out to be an infectious disease. I think we would have discovered it by now with all of our molecular techniques, et cetera. Uh, MS is probably somewhat heterogeneous, and could there be a small subset where an infectious pathogen is, is the cause? I suppose I can't exclude that, but I simply don't think the data favors uh, MS being an infectious uh, disorder and, and due to a specific pathogen like Epstein-Barr virus. Now, what can I say about EBV? EBV is integrally linked to MS. It is probably the single most important infectious pathogen tied to MS, but there are a number of others. There's HHV6, uh, for example. There's a retrovirus uh, that has been tied to MS as well. Now, the interesting thing about Epstein-Barr virus, it's been said that you basically can't develop MS without being infected with EBV, and that's close to true, but not 100% true. Remember, Epstein-Barr virus is a herpes agent. Once you're infected, it, it stays forever within your body, and it has a high, high infection rate. 95% higher of the adult population is going to be infected with Epstein-Barr virus. Even if you go to industrialized areas, age 10 to 14, 70% of the kids have an infection with Epstein-Barr virus. Now, one intriguing factor is the concept that you do not have an adult onset MS patient that's not EBV seropositive. And a recent German study investigated close to 900 patients, and they did several different antibody tests and ultimately showed 100% had evidence of EBV infection. Now remember, 95% of that cohort would be expected to have EBV infection, okay? So a very high rate and they don't have to have MS. The problem is when you turn to pediatric MS. And in pediatric MS, it's been said that 15% of pediatric cases with CIS relapsing MS are EBV seronegative. Now there's a very recent article uh, from pediatric MS that tried to probe this more carefully to really determine whether you could say 100% of pediatric MS were EBV seropositive. They could not get to that, but they did narrow it down to in a cohort of about 180 or so pediatric cases. There were perhaps 2% that were believed to have pediatric MS, had no confusing other factors, and were truly EBV seronegative. Now, in their EBV seronegative cohort of CIS slash MS, they found a proportion of MOG-positive children. It was actually 44%. This is now whittling it down, but you have the documentation that it is not an absolute requirement to develop MS. And even if, even if it turns out to be as low as 2%, 4% of pediatric MS, the fact that you can have MS develop without having Epstein-Barr virus infection really speaks against it being uh, certainly a pathogen that's required to have MS. It says something very powerful though. 
it's an environmental factor where it allows MS to develop or may promote the development of MS and therefore immunologically is telling us something very important. Now, if EBV were the cause of MS, you'd be able to, you should be able to follow, find it in central nervous system tissue. That has not been universally apparent. Even though EBV is in the body and particularly uh, is tropic to B cells and memory B cells, and of course, they're very important, you cannot consistently find it in central nervous system tissue causing the MS disease process. If you look at the oligoclonal bands, oligoclonal bands are not just an infectious component. Any immune-mediated disease, perineoplastic um, syndromes, other neurosarcoidosis, connective tissue diseases that have CNS involvement can also produce oligoclonal bands. It's a, a hyperantigenemic response. They've looked for bands to Epstein-Barr to try to get more causal proof that, that this could be a pathogenic agent. And no, it turns out the oligoclonal bands are, are kind of cell garbage, cell garbage. So the studies that have tried to probe Epstein-Barr and said this is responsible for infecting the central nervous system and causing uh, the damage in, in MS have, have really not been present. Is Epstein-Barr virus important? Absolutely. All adult MS patients uh, thus far have been EBV seropositive, and the majority of documented pediatric MS cases likely are as well, but not 100%. Um, EBV is an environmental factor that's important. Having infectious mono, we just have a recent study, particularly pediatric, but particularly adolescent mono, increased the individual's risk of developing MS. We know that EBV infects immune cells. We know that there are immune abnormalities. So somehow EBV is an environmental factor that is, that is immunologically promoting development of MS or allowing development of, of MS. And studying that and understanding that will be very fundamental in getting to what causes MS. Now they're starting to look at treatments and they are doing trials with both autologous and allogeneic uh, T-cells sensitized to Epstein-Barr virus, but the data is quite weak and limited thus far. There have been 10 studies, uh, 10, 10 patients, no control group. I don't know why they're focusing on progressive MS, to be frank, if they think this is a great treatment. They've proposed EBV vaccines to prevent MS. Well, EBV causes some malignancies, uh, but EBV for the vast majority of individuals is not a bad pathogen. In, in most individuals, it's a silent infection. It doesn't even cause mono. So I'm not sure where you're going to get with a vaccine and will a vaccine actually be able to prevent development of MS. So I'm just going to end by saying I absolutely endorse the critical importance of EBV as an environmental factor to promote development of MS. Maybe it's necessary in most cases, but I don't think it's causing an active infection. I don't think blocking EBV or treating an active EBV infection is going to be the answer to MS. Are you enjoying this episode of MS Matchup? If so, please be sure to subscribe to this and other multiple sclerosis podcast series brought to you by the neurologyhub.com. 
Now let's return to MS Matchup Episode 2 with Dr. Douglas Jeffrey and Dr. Patricia Coyle as they debate whether Epstein-Barr virus causes multiple sclerosis. Will they come to consensus or will they come to blows? What new issues will they uncover? Listen and find out. So, Doug, I'm really bothered by the fact that, that, you know, people have proposed that MS is an infection for years, for mm -hmm. a century. Since, since the 70s, easily. And none has stood the test of time. None. No, no they haven't. I want to say first, but, you know, I think we agree a heck of a lot more than we disagree. And the first thing that comes to mind is the um, autologous uh, T-cell studies. Um, and I agree with you 100%. You know, I think it's a very promising thing, but they, there's a lot of things they're not doing. They haven't measured how well they're depleting the reservoir Epstein-Barr virus. Um, they shouldn't be doing it in progressive. They should be doing it in standard relapsing remitting patient population. And I think there's a lot of problems there. You know, I also agree um, with what you mentioned about pediatric MS patients. And I asked myself, can it really be true that every single patient with real life, honest to God MS has EBV? And I struggle with that. And there are these cases, uh, although they're very few, where they really can't demonstrate um, Epstein-Barr virus seropositivity on any test. And I, we can wonder whether or not there's some other disease process present, which is mimicking MS. In the groups that are doing this work, they're very, very good. And I think they've looked for everything under the sun and haven't found anything. So that is actually a hole in that argument. <clears throat> I also agree that there's really not very good evidence that there's active Epstein-Barr virus infection within the brain. But one of the things I do want to point out is that it may not be need to be present within the brain in order for it to exert effects on the brain. Um, I kind of have a pet hypothesis about how EBV or an EBV microRNA might bring about the, the changes we see in MS. And that's that perhaps Epstein-Barr virus is attempting to make the oligodendrocyte permissive for EBV repl replication. And that would be one possible mechanism by which EBV could induce um, essentially MS. I think it's the most promising lead we've ever seen. Well, I would agree with you, Doug, that I think we may be more similar than uh, different uh, with regard to, I think the associations of Epstein-Barr virus with MS are extremely strong, uh, multi multifactorial. Um, even if it's not 100% of MS patients that are EBV seropositive, it's very close to that, and that has to be extremely significant. So I don't argue that insights about Epstein-Barr virus and what it does to the immune system and how that may promote development of MS are very, very important. But if you have 95% plus of the population that's infected with Epstein-Barr virus and only a tiny fraction that develop MS, there have to be other critical factors that are involved in the development of disease. So I applaud studying this area. Yeah, I just don't buy that MS is an active infection due to Epstein-Barr virus. But that doesn't negate the fact of these links, these multiple links, 
and we have to explain why EBV should be such a potent uh, infectious factor, environmental factor uh, to increase risk of uh, MS. And I think studying it will give us very important insights. However, can that translate to using an antiviral agent? I, I send PCR for EBV on a lot of spinal fluids when I tap MS patients, virtually never positive, virtually never, ever positive. I look for HSV and VZV, and you just don't find that, okay? You're making a very good point. Uh, the EBV is in the entire body. It's in, it's in B cells. It's in particularly memory B cells. We know there were abnormalities reported with EBV responsive T cells in MS, so it may be causing uh, abnormalities in the immune system that are promoting development of MS. I couldn't disagree with that. And I think understanding that better is going to give us some fundamental insights. But if we're trying to argue that this is an infection due to EBV, you could then say that if we got a significant antiviral agent, or we went the route of trying to promote a vaccine program, which I think will not get off uh, the floor uh, because the vast majority of individuals don't get any illness or sickness from EBV. Not That's why we have great problems. They get infected at a very, very young age, um, probably prior to the time that you could successfully administer a vaccine. Yeah, yeah so it would be very, very difficult. But, but, but I do think this is a fascinating area. I do think it was interesting to, you know, talk about it in this fashion. No one can deny the integral links to MS for sure on multiple levels. And we also have to, too, again, look at, you know, the other influences. So the genetic susceptibility is actually criti is critical. If somebody doesn't have the right genetics, they can try as hard as they want to and they'll never get MS. Um, but if they've got the right genetics and the right exposures, then that's when it's going to happen. Doug, there's a recent article by Doug Gooden where he talks about environmental and genetic factors in MS. And, and he makes this interesting argument, and it's above my pay grade with, with regard to the statistics, et cetera. But he's stating that according to their calculations, less than 7.8% of the population is genetically vulnerable to MS. It's actually than, a very small poll, less than 7.8%. Very, very fascinating. Very fascinating. That, that, that makes good sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, would have, I, would, I would have suspected it's even smaller than that. So there, there's one um, drug in development. A company by the name of Atara is looking at autologous and allogeneic T cells, which are directed against Epstein-Barr virus antigens. And um, very, you know, has, has tremendous potential. Um, it's off in the future sometime. The trials are not well designed, unfortunately. Um, there is a lot more we would like to know. But something like that is very, very interesting. I, I would say the clinician, you know, watching our exchange, it's just taking the information and hopefully get much more interested in MS because it's a fascinating disease state and I love taking care of the patients. But I'm not sure what practical advice I could give them. For, for the clinicians listening uh, to this uh, controversy and patients may be asking about Epstein-Barr virus, I would say that my take on it is that EBV emerges as a very critical environmental factor 
to promote development of MS and that it's being studied and that may uh, give us very important insights into why MS occurred. That having been said, Epstein-Barr virus is a ubiquitous herpes agent. The vast majority of the population, 95% plus, get infected and never get tangibly ill from that. So it is a very benign, ubiquitous agent in the vast majority of individuals. And it's only in exceptional cases where it can be associated with uh, diseases. The role it plays in MS is not fully understood. Um, there are some very interesting, very early studies uh, that are focused on Epstein-Barr virus. It will be interesting to see if they turn out to be strongly positive or not. But at this point in, in time, the numbers are so limited, I don't think you can draw any real conclusions. Thanks for listening to this episode of MS Matchup. Be sure to visit theneurologyhub.com for more episodes. MS Matchup is brought to you by the editors of the Neurology Hub and Practical Neurology.